This episode of Bright Hearth is brought to you by Joe Garrisey at Backwards Planning Financial and by our supporters at Patreon.com. The spirit of forgiveness sets us free to forgive others. Guilt is one kind of bondage to fear, but bitterness is another. Many people are kept in bondage to fear by sin committed against them, often by parents or others close to us. Fear that it will happen again, fear that no justice will be done. But bitterness is like chaining yourself to someone else's sin. Forgiveness breaks that chain. Forgiveness isn't the same thing as trust. Forgiveness is a promise, not a feeling. It's a promise not to hold someone's sin against them before the Lord. And if someone isn't repentant and hasn't asked for your forgiveness, you can't be fully reconciled. But you can and must have forgiveness ready for them. Have forgiveness ready like bread baking in your heart. Have forgiveness like a bottle of fine wine waiting by the door. Be like the father in the parable looking down the road, ready and eager to run to them, because that is how you've been forgiven. The Spirit gives this glory. Pastor Toby Sumter. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Hebrews 12, 12 through 15. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Bright Hearth. I'm Brian Sauvé, joined as always by my lovely wife, Lexi. Say hi to the people. Hello. No baby today. No baby today. We You, there, you might hear baby in the intro, <laughs> and then no <laughs> oh, baby. Yeah, that's true. We actually got like 10 minutes in to try and record last night, and then King Alfred, this is a momentous podcast because this is the first podcast we've recorded since Alfred was born. Yeah, Less than 12 hours ago, we were trying to record. <laughs> yes. Not less than 12 hours ago, Alfred was born. Oh, no, That'd no, That'd be no, irresponsible no, 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 podcasting. <laughs> He's about four weeks old now, and uh, thank you guys to everyone who's praying for us and all of your sweet <clears throat> notes and congratulations. We appreciated them. Lexi was a champ. She labored for, what, 30 hours? We'll probably you know talk about it more at some point, but it was awesome. Alfred's here, <laughs> <laughs> and he's doing well, and so is Lexi. So the, the intro episode to this season that you caught last week, uh, probably, was... We recorded that before Alfred was born, and so this is actually us picking back up like a long time later. So as a reminder for ourselves, <laughs> mainly, we're talking through peacemaking in this season, talking about biblical conflict resolution, and in our last episode, we we walked you through really why everybody needs this episode or this season of Bright Hearth, um, because whether you are a brand new Christian, newly regenerate five minutes ago or a, a saint who's been walking with the Lord for 60, 70 years, you'll find that these tools of conflict resolution, forgiveness, confession, reconciliation, all the things we're going to talk through very practically are tools that you have on your tool belt the whole time. Uh, like conflict resolution, the gospel, these things are not just a doorway that you walk into Christianity through. They're really the road that you walk along the whole way to glorification. We're always going to be dealing with these things. Yeah, and something that I had mentioned last night was that even if you aren't in like any particularly fraught relationships, you are likely often teaching other people how to make peace. Mm -hmm. So if you are a mature Christian who has a good marriage or has good parenting relationships, people are probably going to be coming to you for help. So you need to yeah. know how to do this and how to teach other people to do it, really. Yeah, if you're a parent, 
you're going to, we found that the, the things we've been preparing in this season, looking ahead towards have been very helpful for our own children in resolving their conflict and yeah. giving, because kids fight all the time. I don't know if you guys know this, maybe you only have one. Soon as you have two, they tend to fight a lot. And mom and dad aren't there 24 seven. So it can be really hard to justly know how to mm. parent them. <laughs> yeah. And so you're, we're trying to give them the tools and the vocabulary to make peace biblically, not sweep things under mm -hmm. the rug, not kill each other, but to make peace biblically and, and get along across their sin and, and disagreement. So in this episode, the main thing we're going to be doing is talking about the ways that human beings tend to respond to conflict. And then we're going to talk about two of those ways, uh, and there are three, and we'll, we'll talk about the two ways that are bad <laughs> and the one way that is biblical and good because our instincts are often quite bad here. I just saw him call them something different from what we were talking about, but peacemaking, peace-breaking, and peace-faking. I thought those oh, were good. really good ways to be, that's simplify good. it. That's good. And if you, if you hear us refer to a he or they said, we're going to be relying <clears throat> and actually uh, working through a lot of this material comes from a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. This is a book that we use quite a bit in is counseling. Sandy? I just say Sandy. I assumed it was Sand. That's what I've heard everybody say. Sand. Is Ken Sandy. It probably is Sandy though. It's Phonetic Sand should be with an e at the end. It should be. Yeah, it should be Sandy. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Anyways, uh, so we've used this quite a bit in different counseling <clears throat> situations at church. It was recommended by my friend Eric uh, and actually Pastor uh, Khan at our church. We've used it quite a bit. Found it to be very helpful. It's a super practical book. We're we're not going to just go through the book. Uh, but we will draw quite a bit from it and other also other resources as well. But if you're looking for a good, meaty book, it's like 300-plus pages, yeah. very practical, very biblical, uh, mechanics of making peace, conflict resolution, whether that's in families, marriages, children, churches, schools, business, vocation. I mean, whatever area you're in con with unbelievers, with believers, he's really granular and detailed. It's not like the most thrilling read no. you're ever going to pick up, but very practical. I'm I've, I'm literally, I'm so surprised. I think it's because it feels mega churchy in some places that I'm shocked at how much of it is scripturally based. Yeah. Like all of it is, but I guess I would have assumed differently given the time period it was written in. So I'm very happy yeah. to see that. One, one of the benefits of this book is that it was written kind of in that time period where the quote-unquote gospel-centered movement hadn't fully taken off. Yeah, and and the gospel centered movement had some good corrections from real legalism, but a, I think a huge weakness we've talked about before, and especially if you've listened to the first season of the King's Hall, is that the gospel centered movement tended to defang the applicational yep. use of the law. Yeah, and so it tended to be functionally antinomian, and this book is not antinomian. It's not legalistic, but it's not no, antinomian. It's not, yeah, so there's really a lot good. of it has a little bit of a 90s flavor to it, which brings me back to youth group. I know. Like, let's talk about the, you know, each chapter might begin with like, Bill was angry. <laughs> and then it goes through like a, a scenario and a story that's going to illustrate the chapter. Anyway, you can pick that book up if you're interested, but uh, we'll be referencing it here and there using some of his categories because we think they're helpful. And so I uh, don't want to plagiarize. Putting our own flavor into it. Though. Yes putting our mm. own flavor on it for sure, and other resources as well um, we'll bring in. So before we get into those responses to conflict and the two sinful ones and the righteous one, just briefly, we, we thought it was important to, to frame the whole discussion of biblical peacemaking on the right foundation. 
you have to see the call to live at peace with one another in the scripture. And that call, you've heard it in the cold open in Hebrews. Paul says, insofar as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. But in Colossians, Paul says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's prayer, to forgive us our debts as we forgive those our, those who, you know, our debtors. I always get them like hybrid, the two translations there. But this is a pervasive call in Scripture. John, Jesus says they'll know us by our love. I mean, over and over and over, we are commanded to live at peace with one another, to be quick to forgive, slow to anger like the Lord. And so we, we want you to see that you that call to live at peace with one another has to be founded on the bedrock of nothing less than the glory of God. That has to be the ultimate motivation that all of us approach this issue in our lives with because no other motivation is going to be sufficient. Yeah, if you think about those two ditches that you can fall into, he says peace breaking and peace faking. What are the other attacking and escaping? Both of those options are emotionally based. You don't want to ha- deal with a conflict. You're fearful, you're scared, you're yeah. cowardly, so you escape it. That's emotion-led. But then attacking is also emotion-led for obvious reasons. So you have to have something higher than your emotions to really have a firm foundation yeah. in walking forward obediently into conflict resolution. Yeah, it's kind of ironically, like we're talking about peacemaking, mm-hmm. but even the peace itself isn't the ultimate motivation. Well, and I think too, some people assume, well, I'll wait to enter this conflict until I feel good about it and the sun is shiny enough that day yeah, or I get eight hours my emotions are in line with it. And it's that's... I don't actually think there's ever been a time in my life where that's how it's worked out. Yeah. So because of that, it's kind of like, well, Christ calls you to a ministry of reconciliation. So that's how you know to move forward, even when everything else doesn't feel aligned, if that makes sense. Yeah. At bottom, like that, this is it. Not how can I, you know, please myself, not how can I be happy, not how can I vindicate myself, but how can I please God? How can I honor God? How can I obey God? And at bottom, that's it. It's not our feelings. It's not our anger, our bitterness, our desire to be vindicated. It's sometimes you need to put your back up against the wall of no matter how I feel, God commands me to do this for his glory. Yeah. I think it's Romans 15. I wish I could find my phone because I'd look it up where it tells us that we are given the gospel for a ministry of reconciliation. That That's was right. really huge in my life at a time where we were trying to be at peace with people who just Didn't did not want to be at peace with us. And it was helpful to be able to point to that verse and say, look, yeah. we are to be reconciling ourselves to one another, not endlessly hashing things out, yeah. all of that stuff. So yeah. even think about situations maybe in marriage where sometimes as a husband, uh, his wife is upset with him for whatever reason. And let's say he's confessed and repented and and the sin has been it should be put away, and his mm-hmm. wife is still clinging to it. Even then, the husband needs to have the grounds, yeah. the authority to say, no, wife, you must obey God. You must forgive yeah. and stop dealing and being anxious and being bitter and angry about this thing. You must put it away. Yeah, I, I think it's really important for women specifically to hear, if you're talking things to death, that's actually not an option for peacemaking. Yeah. Typically... It's breeding bitterness, it's unforgiveness, and it's holding another sins against against them. So you have to, at that point too, I think we've talked about this before, I think people can switch from being willing to engage in conversation and say like, look, you need to go take this up with my advocate now. I'm no longer having this conversation right. with you. And I think it's okay 
if you're if you're if you've been humble, if you've tried to repent, if you've been a listening ear for a reasonable amount of time, I think it's okay at some point to say we're done. You need to take this up with yeah. the advocate before the throne. <laughs> and there will be times when things don't go well where you feel like you are being trampled down, where yeah. you feel like you're being crushed, where you feel like you're you're forgiving huge sins and you're and and sometimes what you need to hear is obey God because God is preparing for you in Christ an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. It's going to make this light momentary affliction look like a vapor compared to the glory he's preparing. So the only sufficient ground when it re, when it gets real for biblical peacemaking, conflict, resolution, forgiveness, is that Christ died yeah. on the cross for my sin, and he command and God therefore commands me, as he has forgiven me, to go and forgive my debtors. Yep. So keep that in mind over this whole conversation that if 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 it feels like we're telling you to do really hard things, well, we often are, but that's the that's what's under your feet. The glory of God is the is the the solid rock on which you stand that will allow you to actually forgive and make peace and die to yourself when it's really hard. And when you feel like I'm just being wronged and they don't feel it properly and no one cares enough and well, the Lord cares, he sees you and he can identify with you because the Lord took the sins of the world on the cross. So, so keep that in mind. You will never be asked to outdo the Lord yeah. in his commands towards you with respect to conflict resolution. Yeah, I think All that's right. that's really practical. If you're if you really are struggling with this, to really just think like I'm, I feel a lot of pain and hurt from this, mm-hmm. but Christ felt more, so I can, with His help, bear this. Yeah, that's that's as practical as it gets, yeah. and that's it. And you can stop it at that point. And and guys, like we we've, we've been there so many times. One of the features of ministry is that you'll often, like over the years, you'll you people will leave your church. They'll be angry with you. Sometimes yeah. they won't talk to you. They'll gossip about you. They'll be just, you know, not treat you Christianly. And so sometimes we've had to just say, I'm going to actually make it my rule that whenever I think about this person that I that I feel has wronged us or been unchristian towards us, I'm going to pray for them and ask that the Lord would bless them and try to turn it back on the Lord and say, mm-hmm. you died for them. You, you, you love them. Help me to love them. You, please bless them. Help me not to be bitter. Because like, like Pastor Sumter uh, said in the introduction that I quoted from one of his blogs or sermons, he said that uh, unforgiveness is <clears throat> it's it's fundamentally like shackling yourself to their sin. Yeah. So let's let's talk through this the the meat of this episode, the options that you have before you when you run into conflict in your marriage with your kids in your church business wherever it is, there are some options that are in front of you. Basically, like three a three way fork in the road and. Ken Sandy calls these responses the escape responses, the attack responses, and uh, the peacemaking responses. And each one of them goes into its own little tributaries, and there's lots of different versions of escape and attack, and, and there's lots of parts to reconciliation. But those are the three main umbrellas that he uses, escaping, aggressiveness, or peacemaking. And so what we're going to do is work through starting with the two sinful responses, which would be escape and attack. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about some of the different forms that those might take. And then we'll work through the peacemaking responses. And and actually, Ken Sandy identifies six of them that are really helpful because they help you see different parts of all of these responses. (laughs) 
Do you desire to be financially shrewd for the sake of your family and future generations? We know that a robust society depends on getting this right. Success in building and passing on personal wealth. Let's be mature, responsible leaders with the resources God expects us to turn a profit on, to love our children and children's children well. Joe Garrisey with Backwards Planning Financial integrates investments, debt, insurance, tax strategies, and legacy planning in a holistic approach, coaching his clients to act wisely. You can do better than you received. You can affect your family's trajectory and maximize your efforts to set up long-term fruitfulness. Joe starts with your values and goals, then provides impactful counsel to help you form and implement your plan. Visit him online at backwardsplanningfinancial.com or just tap on his website link in the description and reach out to Joe to get started today. So escape responses, fundamentally, these are like passive, you know, when you're being passive or passive aggressive or looking at you, you know, there's a problem. You're frustrated by a problem. You're super annoyed at everybody by a problem. And probably everybody knows, by the way, that you are super annoyed by a problem. A lot of times <laughs> men come home and they're like, something's wrong. My wife is mad. And I cannot recall what I could have done that would have made her be mad, which doesn't mean that he didn't do anything. But often he's like, oh, no. So a lot of times when that happens and he says, what's wrong? And she says, nothing. I'm fine. That classic, I'm fine. <laughs> We're, that's one of the, that's an escape response <laughs> often that you are seeing. So let's let's talk uh, a little bit about these. And I think this is honestly the most common. Yeah, I was going to say, I think in some ways, this passiveness, I've seen it be more harmful for the long run than people who are constantly fighting. Yeah, because fighting, at least someone eventually has to deal with it. Yeah. Like a pastor will eventually step in at some but point. People can literally go generations being passive about sin in their family. And yes nothing is ever fixed and people are sinned against constantly for yeah. lack of responsibility taking. Yeah. And one of the reasons that Christians will tend to go towards escape responses, I think mm. is because some people think like, Oh, con- conflict will never fix anything. Yeah. Um, I don't want to fight. I just, and that's honestly a lot of the time sinful. It's cowardice. Yeah, totally. Because when sin gets into a relationship, it, the loving thing to do is to fight for the sake of peace and love. And it's like when yeah. an enemy gets into the walls, it's not loving to be like, enemy, I don't see any enemy. It's While like, he's you know raping and pillaging and uh, killing everybody. I had an older lady counsel me recently. She gave me this principle that one day she was out with her daughter when she was younger and they were having a beautiful day together, eating ice cream, yeah. going to the library. And her daughter said to her, aren't we just such best friends, mom? And she said later that day, she ended up having to give her a spanking. She was a five-year-old at this time. And the little girl was crying and said, but best friends don't do that to each other. And she was talking about how it can be hard to confront people when we need to. She had to tell her daughter, like, mommy has to be a Christian before I can be your best friend. And because I'm a Christian first, I have to do this. I'm called to discipline you in this way and love you in this way. And she was applying that to me saying, like, before we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to be Christians to the Lord and oh, so yeah. sometimes that means that relationship with Christ comes before the 
brother or sister in Christ relationship. Yes. Which means we have to do hard things sometimes. That's so good. I was like, oh, thank you. So good. (laughs) And a lot of the time, escape passive responses actually end up being a cloak for passive aggressive gossipy behind the scenes. That's true. You won't talk to the person because you don't want conflict, but you will try to undermine them and ruin their reputation. Yeah, that's true. It's really important in these episodes, listeners, that you try to identify yourself in them. Yeah. Which response are you prone to? I know it's tempting to think, oh, that's just like Cindy. You know, <laughs> like she's such a passive, you know, she's such a gossip. Okay, yeah, fine. Notice things that are true and, you know, learn to live at peace with people. But what do you tend to do? Do you tend to be passive, cowardly, back up? Men, do you tend to just be like, I'm going to let my wife handle everything? I'm going to let her rule the home. I'm not going to, to lead boldly. Um, I'm never going to confront her sin. I'm never going to help with the children or in the church. I'm just going to quietly see that everybody and develop bitterness until I just blow up and leave. You, you really have to see your own sin in the mirror before you start trying to diagnose everybody around you. So let's talk about these escape responses. Uh, Ken Sandy talks about Ken Sandy talks about three of them. Uh, one escape response is denial, which is just to pretend like the conflict doesn't actually exist. So denial is just trying to get out of the conflict, getting getting out of the problem by literally pretending like it doesn't exist. The problem with this is that it doesn't work. <laughs> just to put it simply, it's like, no, actually, if there is a conflict, it exists, it's eating you away. Everybody knows that you have to do something. The second one is flight. And this is running away. This can take lots of forms. It can be literally running. Like you're in a fight with your spouse and you're the one that grabs the keys, gets in the car and drives off into the night leaving them to just go, oh no, what what happened? Um, this is, flight can also be, all right, I am in conflict with a friend. We used to be really close. We talked all the time. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm just ghosting them. I'm never answering their texts. I'm cold shouldering them. This can be a spouse cold shouldering. I think this can also be for for women that are scared of husbands. I don't know, scared of husbands. I have known women who will leave large chunks of information out of counseling sessions because they don't want their husband mad at them. Oh yeah. And then it just... Then years down the road, it all comes out, and yeah, that was a that was a form of fleeing from helpful information. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's that's kind of a denial and a yeah, fleeing. It's so. like um, that's a healing the wound lightly issue. Yeah, where you're like, I just want the appearance of peace, but I don't want to get down to the roots of the sins. Yeah. And it's it's pat it's cowardice, it's escape, it's flight, it's den- it's all those things. And and it's important to note that there are times when obviously you should run. Like if yeah. somebody is being physically violent. Um, none of these things are uh, suicide pact. So we're not saying like, if your husband is literally beating people, you should, don't flight, don't flee. That's not biblical conflict resolution. Yeah, like that's a different situation. Yeah, just so you guys know, there are times when I'm counseling women that I, I have often said, is this true? If so, I need to get off the phone right now so I can tell the correct authorities about this. Right. That happens not very regularly, but it has happened. So we take it seriously. Yeah. The third, and this is like a, a really ultimate and final form of an escape response, and that would be suicide. This is genuinely one of the big drivers behind literally suicide is people trying to escape their problems, conflicts, issues, instead of dealing with them. And you could also, suicide is kind of like the ultimate finalizing and hardening of these other escape responses. Yeah, and I think with suicide specifically, it shows how the gospel is the answer to conflict resolution because if your hope is beyond death, 
and beyond like these worldly problems, it mm-hmm. can help you live for something other than your emotional state. Yes. The gospel is your hope in that. So, yeah. So those are the escape responses. Look in the mirror, see if you see yourself there. We're going to talk about them, obviously, as we unpack the good responses too. They, they're kind of opposites in many ways. Um, so we don't want to escape. Christians are not allowed to just deny, run away, be passive or passive aggressive or cowardly. We are called to a ministry of reconciliation and we are commanded by God for the glory of God to live at peace with one another. It's not an option in your marriage. It's not an option with your children. It's not an option in your church. It's not an option in your business. You must seek biblical reconciliation and peace. You may not act like the problem doesn't exist, flee, whatever it is. The attack responses are are the inverse, the sinful inverse. There's a ditch on the other side of the road, and they're pretty... This is, I mean, pretty obvious. The, the The escape responses can be less obvious, but the the attack response, instead of a person who feels like, oh, uh, we, we're Christians, we can never fight, the attack people are often like, we're Christians, and we fight all the time. That's all we do. We're just a hammer all the time. And there are three of those that we'll identify that, um, that Ken Sandy uh, names. He says assault. Obviously, this one's like, if you get in a fight and you're angry, you're like, I'm going to make peace by total physical domination, and I'm going to beat their face in. And you know what? Women do this too. Yeah, and I think it it often just shows how little resources the person has to know how to cope with yeah. either their emotions or circumstances that got outside of their control. Yeah, this this can take a lot of forms. You can think about like, I think some of the the, the garden variety versions of this would be when you're disciplining your children in anger. That's what I was going to say too. Or like the goal is to just spank, but sometimes in quick situations, if a flick on the ear or a flick on the cheek needs to be sufficient, but it's like, are you always resulting to that because yeah. you're not self-controlled enough to stop mm-hmm. gain control and authority over the situation and take them aside and spank them. So you're just using these fake little, does that make sense? Yep. Fake little forms of feels more punitive, I guess, which assault is definitely trying to punish somebody instead yep. of actually deal with the reconciliation process. This is like the wife who hits her husband when she's mad at him because she knows like, he can't hit me back. It's not Mm -hmm. a big deal if I hit him. Uh, Obviously I'm the woman. I mean, I get, this sounds crazy. This happens all the time, guys. This is, this is. Yeah. Don't let your daughters do it either. We don't, our daughters get in trouble for doing this. Oh, (laughs) absolutely. They're not allowed. This can also, assault can be verbal assault. So this is like, if you resort to immediately yelling and raising your voice and harsh speech Name calling and lying about people. And just so you know, exaggerating a situation is the same as lying. Exactly. And it is a biblical sin. Yes. It's also, um, I thought it was interesting that Ken Sandy listed, uh, efforts to damage a person financially or professionally as a form of assault. So if you are example of that be like verbal slandering, Oh, if you're like, maybe you're mad at an employee who left you to make more money somewhere else or something. And then, you just go around on, oh, oh, I heard that uh, he's with this company now, but we had real problems with him. And, you know, trying to undermine <laughs> yeah. somebody sinfully, uh, gossiping. All of these things are, again, they're not attacking the problem. But the person. They're attacking the person. They're attacking yeah. the periphery. They're attempting to rally support. The second attack response is litigation. Uh, and this is, man. <laughs> he's really interesting on this topic. Yeah. He's I very mean, helpful. Very, very helpful. This is actually when literally you try to solve the solution by bringing people to court. Mm-hmm. So you might think, well, that's not very relevant. Well, Paul actually had to address it. Yeah. 
in First Corinthians. He was talking about the church suing one another before un, you know, non-Christian magistrates. And he was like, look, if you guys are going to judge the angels, how dare you take your problems before the courts of sinners and ask them to adjudicate your problems? It would be better for you to just be wronged yeah. and lose money. Yeah. People do this in church courts. Yeah. Like in the 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 PCA or in the OPC or any any church where there's the SBC, though it has a different structure. I mean, this is the SBC drama where we're trying to, you know, you have people trying to litigate their problems at the national convention that's actually happening like this week as we record. People sometimes are very, very good at manipulating systems of power mm -hmm. to try and get at their enemies yeah. instead of solving the actual problem, litigation. Oh, you know what an example of this is actually too? What? When one kid uh -huh. runs inside and says, mom, uh, they said idiot and hit our neighbor kid, and you didn't see it, and you're like, they're actually trying to manipulate the the, oh, the structures yeah. of power to yeah. get them punished. But then you find out, like, well, yeah, okay, maybe they actually did do that, but the other person like provoked them in seven different ways and mm -hmm. sinned, and they're not telling the whole. They're trying to manipulate the courts. <laughs> we learn this young. <laughs> and the last one is murder, which is again just the extreme hardening of these things when you know. We, uh, when, when someone actually just kills the other person. Jesus, of course, tells us that when we harbor anger in our heart towards a brother, we're committing this sin in principle. Oh, so yeah. I think that's important for people to realize. Oh, yeah. If you're replaying situations in your head, you are meditating on murdering the person over and over again. Over and over <laughs> Are you taking over. communion every week, too, while doing this? Yeah, this is, that's <laughs> bad. That's real bad. You think about when you're, you're doing this to your spouse, you're just nursing a wound. And you're going, you're picking at it over and over, and you're not addressing it. You're not, you're you're not either covering it over in love. We'll talk about that, or addressing I think, it. I just, I think women, I think women really need to hear this. It really is as simple as stop thinking about it. I don't have to bring it up again. Yeah, just stop. And the reason is because obviously, if you're having to rehash it in your mind, that's obviously not working. Yeah. So why don't you try this other solution and see if that works? And oh, by the way, it is a biblical one. Yeah. And it will work. Even if it doesn't solve the problem long-term, you will be a happier person mm -hmm. by cutting off that sin. And what you'll find is that a lot of the sins you felt like, you will feel like, we tend to feel like every sin committed against us is a sin that needs to be brought out and confronted. Mm -hmm. But every sin we commit is not that category. Yeah. And what we'll find is as we cover offenses or turn them to the Lord in prayer for a, for a significant amount of time before we decide that we're going to confront them uh, or maybe weigh in and make sure it's serious enough that it needs to be confronted and not covered. A lot of the times what we'll find is that many of the sins that we gave the power to irk us for months yeah. were sins that you could simply determine in your mind before the Lord, I am not going to be bothered by that anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my husband doing this little thing that bothers me, my wife doing this little thing that bothers me. I'm just not going to be, before the Lord, I'm going to take that thought captive. When the temptation comes, I'm going to immediately pray for my, the person I'm annoyed with and say, Lord, please bless them. Give me a heart of peace towards them and help me not to be bugged by this. Yeah, It's powerful. All right. So those are the, the two sinful roads that we're not allowed to take, escape, and attack responses. What did you call them? Peace faking. Peace faking is the escape. Escape. And then peace breaking is assault. Yes. That's good. Peace faking, responses. peace breaking. I thought it was so good. now we're going to, and Ken Sandy, 
did that, right? That was his. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. So now we're going to talk about peacemaking and the, the responses. And there are six strategies that these are all commanded by God variously in the scriptures. Every one of them can be powered by what Christ did for us in the gospel. So the, the strength to do these things doesn't, have, doesn't come just from ourselves. Mm-hmm. It comes from the Spirit of God working in us to conform us to Christ who walked in these things mm-hmm. towards us. Yeah. I think it's important before we go through these to note, too, that context often drives which of these should be applied. Yeah. Like, you don't always need to negotiate in your marriage. So that's not always an option. So yeah. shut your mouth occasionally. And then arbitration is not always something that has to happen. And you don't always need accountability to yes. get through things. So I think it's important to so think through your context when you're applying these with wisdom. Yeah, also think about, like, again, see yourself in the mirror. Which one of these am I tempted to overdo? Yeah, that's <laughs> a good way to put it. If I'm yeah. all, The first three responses are personal and private. And then the last three start to involve other people. Yeah. So if you're always like, I'm going to jump to the one that brings three other people in. Yeah, that's true. You probably shouldn't be doing that. Like most of the time, these should be solved privately. Yeah, you maybe could think of these in terms of different types of peacemaking muscles. So if you yeah. have this one that's really big over here, but you're super weak in this one, maybe that's the one you actually need to pursue with yes. the help of Christ. It's, it's like Matthew 18 is highly relevant where Jesus yeah. is saying, if you have a problem, go to your brother. If, you, if he repents, you've won your brother. If not, so make sure you're doing these in order and in proportion and in context. So again, the first of these kind of private peacemaking responses would be to overlook an offense. You can see, I mean, in the Proverbs, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. That's a verse in the Bible. Yeah. That's a big one. That's one that we, I think, would be shocked to find out that often this was the response the Spirit would have yeah. led us to walk in, and we didn't. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you think of an older woman who is just very much glorious and beautiful and filled with the Spirit and at peace with those around her and walking in fellowship with the Lord, I bet she has one time, maybe two a year, where she's actually having mm. to go to somebody to resolve conflict. But most of the time, I bet you this is the muscle yep. she's working is overlooking an offense because it's glorious. And and, and that's a great example because when you're older, what happens is you get better and better at seeing the sins that are less obvious. Yes, exactly. So imagine being someone who's walked with the Lord for 40 years, you're in the church, you're a wise older man or woman, and you're looking out at a church like the one that I pastor. A lot Mm -hmm. of young people, a lot of families, just sin all, all over the place. They're probably seeing 15 parenting sins per Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're like, oh, that person didn't do enough there. They were... They, oh, wow, that husband, that was a little, he shouldn't have done. Oh, that wife just interrupted her husband. That was kind of rude. Like, she, they're yeah. probably seeing all these sins, and, and they're smiling and saying, how are you doing this morning? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's maturity, actually. <laughs> it's maturity. Actually, that older woman that I was talking about earlier that I go to for advice occasionally, I often think, like, it's so humbling going to her for help because I'm like, I know she sees these other issues that I am probably having that she could yeah, be bringing up yeah. right now, but I'm only bringing up one to her and she's not pointing at the other 50. She could, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. I love how Ken Sandy puts it in his little explanation of this one. He says, overlooking an offense is a form of forgiveness mm-hmm. and involves a deliberate decision not to talk about it, dwell on it, or let it grow into pent up bitterness and anger. It's not over, so end quote. It's not overlooking an offense to not say anything about it, but then to dwell on it and let it grow in your soul until you're so frustrated 
that you're about to explode. That's not overlooking an offense. No. Overlooking an offense really that's is. That's just not being self-controlled. Like that's yeah. not being a, that's not being able to talk about in a self-controlled way. Yes. If you're blowing up in anger, you lack self-control. Yeah, absolutely. You need to tattle on yourself way earlier. Yep, yep. <laughs> Think about in marriage, the number of little offenses, some of them aren't even real offenses. Some of them are just things that annoy you that need to be overlooked, that the Lord would command you to overlook and have the glory of being someone who is very difficult to fight with. Being someone who is not because you're passive or you're any of those escape responses, but because you're not you're not going to let your marriage become a continual battleground or fist fight over every little thing. They left their clothes sitting on the end of the bed for the third day in a row. I specifically asked them to hang them up. Hang them up. Just put them up. Just put them away. Uh, the kids, they continually forgot to, you know, they ran inside to get their water bottle, forgot to take their shoes off. Look, they're kids. Just overlook yeah. it. I mean, this is so practical. This is the first step when you come across an offense. You need to work through this one. Do I need to overlook this offense? Actually, I think overlooking it for a little bit while you pray about it is almost always the yeah. right first option. Very good. Even yeah. if you apply the rest of them, at least the times when I've had to just confront somebody Mm-hmm. It has had a period of overlooking to pray beforehand. So with many offenses, it's they're they're not these like something's on fire type of offenses. Yeah. It's not like, oh, my wife just cussed at me in front of three people at church. <laughs> okay, we're gonna go aside right then yeah, yeah, and yeah. talk. But most of them can can bear a, a a minute or a little bit of this quiet, Lord, I'm annoyed, I'm offended. Help me think through this rightly. Help me treat yeah. them like you you would. The thing you need to look remember, you guys, if you forget everything else, this is the strategy the Lord uses with us more than any other one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Think about how often we sin. Yeah, yeah. I was. I'm listening to the. I think it's called Psalms for Trials, on Canon. Okay. I think that's what it's yeah. called. And he, she was talking about how like God is not proud, which means when dealing with our sin, He doesn't have to constantly throw it in our face. Yes. And I had never thought about that's what so does it good. mean that God is not proud. Yes. That's what it means is that he's able to deal with us on a gracious standing because he's not worried about defending himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, that's so good. And and we need to remember that. Think of how the Lord again, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's what Paul says in Colossians. So the, the Lord most often overlooks and covers. Yep. Number 2 is reconciliation. Reconciliation and we're talking privately between two parties. So when the sin is serious enough and you've done the praying and, okay, I can't overlook this, this is serious, uh, this needs to be resolved, it would hurt this person to allow them to walk unrepentantly in this sin, it is my responsibility, like it's one of my children or it's my wife or it's you know somebody who's genuinely in my concern, it's a brother in my church and my local membership and I've sworn to pursue the purity and peace of this church, and so I'm going to privately go to them like the Lord says and I'm going to offer loving correction and hopefully bring the confession, correction, forgiveness, all of those things. This is Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if, someone is, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit, in a spirit of uh, forgiveness or restore him gently in a spirit of gentleness. This is, we're not going to belabor this one um, because we're actually going to talk quite a bit about the mechanics of this through the season, and also I plan to share with you guys one of the talks from the New Christendom Press Conference as a Bright Hearth episode with some commentary from us 
from Pastor Toby Sumter that he taught at our conference last week on confession of sin, because I think it was so helpful. It was really good. On the mechanics of this. So that's reconciliation. More on that later. Um, And we're going to work fairly quickly through these last ones, since again, we are going to be unpacking them. And the third, the third, uh, this is again a private, just between two parties, strategy of peacemaking is negotiation. I feel like you employ this one a lot. If I'm feeling overwhelmed by something, you will, you're not negotiating in the sense of like, how can I gain peace for my wife? But more like, how, how can I help her? Like she has this emotional conflict she's dealing with. What are some mm. ways that I can practically help her? Because I yeah. do think this gets a little bit more into the practical realm and less of the emotional realm. Yeah. I also, well, maybe not. Maybe this isn't the right place to apply this, but I was thinking about one of the boys broke something of the other boys recently because he was mad. And we kind of said like, okay, now you have to pay to replace that. Yeah. Would that be negotiation? I think that is going to get into uh, in this specific, if they had been able to work that out themselves, yeah, not it would have been negotiation. <laughs> like, oh, are, would okay, you be satisfied okay, okay. brother if I replaced your helmet? I see what that I broke. Saying. Yes, I would. We Thank still you. had to get involved. So it, so was, it was arbitration. arbitration. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but negotiation, it's a good point because it, if you have that situation, sometimes things aren't all sin. Some of them are logistical. Like, let's say that your wife is struggling with a situation she doesn't know how to deal with and she feels like she's being anxious and sinful and dwelling on it and needs to get resolution. And she wants to take one action and it's a matter of wisdom. It's not like she wants to sin, but she wants to take one action, and the husband thinks she should take another one. They can discuss and and come to okay, an accord. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the key verse here is in Philippians two, where where uh, Paul says, you know, each one let each one not seek his own interest, but the interests of others. That when we come to negotiate, the husband should be thinking, "I want the highest good for my wife." The wife should be thinking, "I want the highest good for my husband." And we don't agree yet. But let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. Her with a spirit of submission and gen, uh, and quiet spirit, and him with uh, a, a loving Christ-like leadership coming into that conversation and figuring out. Okay, like um, let's let's get a, an example here. That a husband is a wife is ups, upset with her husband's travel schedule for work. Okay, and let's say that some of it's at his discretion. He mm-hmm. could travel less. But he's convinced that for the sake of their family and legacy, he needs to do this travel for this time. And he's being a good husband, a good leader, and listening to his wife and not just crushing her and saying, you know, be quiet, woman. Like, he's he's being a good husband. And there could Carry be negotiation. Carry your two buckets. Be quiet. Yeah. It's probably going to result in him saying, I need you to stop being anxious about this yeah. and obey Christ. And I am going to, you know, consider that and let's figure out a balance that's a little bit better. But not everybody's probably going to get everything they want. Yeah, like, there have been very realistic. When you travel now, you give me like, these are the three helps I have in place for you. Yeah. You can accept or deny any of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's helpful for me to be like, okay, well, yes. this is what would be most helpful then. Yes. And so now when these don't work, there comes a point often where just you need mediation. And that's the fourth one. This is when people can't privately come to accord. No one, like often what happens is one person says, I think you sinned and this is the name of your sin and I love you and I want you to repent. The other person says, I actually disagree. I don't think I did that. I don't think I sinned. And I think you sinned. And they just don't agree. And they both have verses and they both have their own understanding of the situation Mm -hmm. and they cannot agree. Now in a local church, what people often do at this point is one of them leaves the church. And that's sinful. (laughs) Often. Because what Christ says is bring in help. Yeah. Bring in help. Mediation. This is when you take a brother with you 
you try to get some objectivity, you try to get some outside help, someone who both sides can trust. Yeah. And they meet. This was mama helping negotiate the broken bicycle helmet. There you go. You were mediating. Um, I was I was gonna say too, with all of these, I think it's important to have a specific sin, not a vague sin, because people can't Yep. That's that's a kindness to somebody that you're trying to reconcile with. If you don't have a specific sin, you're probably sinning against them because yeah. then they're you're heaping condemnation on them that is yeah. not helpful. They don't know how to actually repent or what to even repent of. So just saying you make me feel this way, that's not helpful. <laughs> exactly. There so, needs to be a Bible verse or good and necessary consequence of a Bible verse. So especially when you're when you are bringing in a mediator, it's like okay, you need to give them the specific details that they need to know. You don't need to go overboard. But don't just desire mediation so you can get some cathartic yeah. therapy session in. I get to yell and that's not and... helpful for anybody. And honestly, it's unkind to the person that you want to seek counsel from because you're wasting their time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So arbitration is very important. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll unpack some of these more as the season goes on. The fifth one, and the, or sorry, the sixth and final peacemaking tactic would be accountability. This is essentially when um, we you start to get larger structures of authority involved, where uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus talks about bringing it privately and then bringing a brother, and if they won't listen, tell it to the church. This is expanded in other passages of the New Testament, and church discipline is one example of arbitration, or sorry, accountability, where a higher authority is going to come in and say, whether you agree with it or not, what you're doing is sin. Here's the verse. Here's the evidence. We've done this biblically. You have an, a, a chance to respond, and then we're going to make a ruling. Mm-hmm. Uh, this can also be the civil magistrate. If somebody is beating his wife mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the, the police get involved, that's an example of accountability. We're now a legitimate authority that God has appointed is going to come in and discipline you. And, and for, with, the, with the goal that justice would be done on the civil magistrate, with the goal of your repentance and faith in mm-hmm. the church government, but this is a serious and weighty and needful thing that uh, often, not often, but I mean, it is actually often neglected in churches where the, civil, the, the church courts will never, the elders will never get involved, they'll never rule, they'll just let sins fester. Yeah. Sometimes people need to be called I know you don't see this sin, but it is real, and it's destroying your family, your life, the church, and a little leaven leavens the lump, and so we're going to make a ruling. Isn't there a psalm, too, where he's saying that he confesses his sin in the congregation? Oh, there are multiple psalms where, um, he, where like in Psalm 51, where he, and I think Psalm 31 might be another one, where he's talking about how his sin has put him, basically shamed him before the congregation. Okay, so I was thinking about how I... Maybe this isn't the right application. I don't know. I will often tell women who are struggling with a habitual sin, mm-hmm. I will say, you need to talk to the women in general about it. Yeah. You need to be posting for prayer about this in our women's group. Yeah. You should go confess this before a larger group because I've seen it be really effective in holding them accountable mm. because they know a lot of people know that I'm struggling with this yeah. and you can't get away with it as much anymore. Yeah, it's a good point. So I've seen that be really effective if you just, if you confess your sin, even just for prayer, not to be weirdly uh, introspective about it, but mm-hmm. just, it's another a form of accountability, yeah. I feel like. So if you feel yeah. like you really are struggling with something habitually, like you've said before, shame is a gift to us. Yep, yep. And there are women that I have seen really mature a lot quicker 
because they have gone and confessed something that's publicly. Right. Yeah, that's right. And when you get, when you understand the biblical helpfulness of shame and the way that it's actually part of part of love, it's a part of God's love for us that he lets us experience the shame of that which destroys us and those around us. Yeah. Then you start to understand that you're not being attacked when someone confronts you with sin. You're not being attacked or they're not seeking your harm. No. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Yes, they're really trying to help you. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. They'll tell you, go girl, gossip to me all day long, and they'll never correct you because they don't love you. Fundamentally, what we're talking about with this whole season is is love applied to conflict. That if Mm -hmm. you love somebody, you will pursue peacemaking with them. This is hard, difficult, costly, annoying. It's it's very, uh, it produces anxiety. It's much easier to ignore and escape or just attack and gossip and whatever, than it is to actually be like Christ and lovingly help the person caught in a a transgression. Or when you're on the receiving end, it's easier to dismiss, litigate and attack and not submit and not acknowledge your sin. But but Christ loves you and your people love you. And so they're trying to help you. That's what this season is about. We hope it's helpful to you guys. Thanks for listening again. We're still figuring out all of our recording schedule with new baby and everything. So uh, we'd appreciate your patience if there's ever a week where we are just simply not able to get it get it done. But we are going to be posting every week, Lexi and I, whether Lexi or me or both of us, every week on our Patreon channel, we, we post often, it's as short as five to 15 minutes, something very practical on the Titus II uh, homemaking productive Christian household type of stuff, new baby sleep routines, nursing and breastfeeding, cooking and you know loving your husband. Uh, all of those things uh, are, are happening every week on Patreon. We have a lot of great discussions there as well. You can support the show and also get access to, all, there's dozens and dozens of them at this point in the back catalog that you can check out there. But uh, last thing I'll tell you before we leave is that uh, I'm making an album called Hearth Songs of seven original songs that are about really the glory and beauty of the ordinary Christian life overflow of a lot of what we talk about in this show. And so uh, I actually just released on Friday, the 23rd of June, I believe it is. Uh, It's actually not out yet as I record this, but I think it will be when you're listening. Friday, June 23rd, uh, I released a single from that project. The, the, The song is called A Mighty Host, and it's a love song. So I I hope you will take a minute, go listen to it. I'll put a link in the description to all of the streaming places where you can go listen to it. And I'm fundraising to finish that album and also to finish my next Psalms album. It's going to cost, I know this is crazy. It's going to cost like $36,000 to do those two next albums, uh, a seven song EP and then a full album of Psalms similar to the Even Dragons album that I just released. And so I'd appreciate your help. I can't record and produce these things on a high level without your guys' help and support. So thank you. Go check out that song. Share it with your friends. I'd love to hear what you think. We're trying to write Christian love songs that outdo the pagans and show the beauty of marriage and children and all of those things. So go give that a listen. If, you, if you're able, check out. There's a link in the description as well to the Kickstarter-type fundraiser I'm doing for those albums that you can contribute to. And honestly, guys, I think if everybody who listened on Spotify in a given month gave a dollar, we'd fund the whole album in like a day. So I appreciate all of that, all of your support, and uh, we hope that the Lord blesses you through this content. We'll see you next time on Bright Hearth.